Welcome to the Speech Umbrella, the show that explores simple but powerful therapy techniques for optimal outcomes. I'm Denise Stratton, a pediatric speech language pathologist of 30 plus years. I'm closer to the end of my career than the beginning, and along the way, I've worked long and hard to become a better therapist. Join me as we explore the many topics that fall under our umbrellas as SLPs. I want to make your journey smoother. I found the best therapy comes from employing simple techniques with a generous helping of mindfulness. Hello, and thank you for tuning into episode 63 of the Speech Umbrella podcast. If you're a regular listener, you know one of my mantras is when you master the simple, the complex takes care of itself. But that's not my only one. Another one is don't be pushed by your problems, be led by your observations. That's what today's episode is all about, and I'm calling it With New Eyes, because as clinicians, we get a little single-minded in our approach sometimes, and we forget to observe the whole child. Now, that's unfortunate, because when you're up against a tough client, observing the whole child almost invariably helps you see your path forward with that child. This is a skill we just have to keep honing. I've been doing this a long time, and just this spring, just a few weeks ago, I had to remind myself to step back and observe so I could figure out a client who was having regular meltdowns. No matter how good I get at therapy, I'm never going to get to the point where I don't have to take time to observe. But I do want to get better at realizing when I'm being too single-minded. With that in mind, what I'm going to share with you today are three stories. No formulas, no therapy techniques today, but just stories of looking at clients with new eyes and then being led by that observation to more effective therapy. In addition to seeing these three clients differently, I also learned three lessons applicable to life and therapy. My hope is that by sharing these stories with you, you'll realize who on your caseload could use a new eyes approach, because that's what Pam Marshalla did for me. A long time ago, when I was working at a school, I attended a seminar given by Pam Marshalla. I learned a lot. She was so awesome. But the most valuable thing I learned was from something she said at the very beginning. Now, she was never hesitant to share her opinions about how we do what we do in our field. She was refreshingly honest and is greatly missed. She passed away in 2015 from leukemia. At this seminar, she demonstrated how we talk to children, and I can still picture her standing in front of us, putting her hands on her hips, looking down as if she was talking to a child, and it was something like this. Johnny, how are you today? I love your shoes. Are they new? Where did you get them? Do you love them too? Didn't you just have a birthday? How old are you now? She wasn't just demonstrating how the ordinary layperson might talk to children. Her point was, we speech therapists do this too. We're not all that great at that. We too drown children in words. And I had to admit that I was guilty, and I have never considered myself even a talkative person. Her other point was, we should shut our mouths and listen and observe more. So that brings me to my first story. Her seminar was on a Friday, and I went to work on Monday determined to be more observant, especially with one particular client. Now, this particular client was in kindergarten. He had a cognitive delay. He possibly had autism. His mother had left the family, so his father was raising him. His father struggled with literacy, and we suspected he got too much screen time and not much language modeling at home, and there were also socioeconomic difficulties. So yeah, this kid had a lot on his plate. He talked a little bit. He communicated a little. He could form sentences. They weren't great sentences, but he could. But even with his cognitive delay, I suspected and his special ed teacher suspected that he could do more. He just came across as being stubborn when you worked with him. He refused to talk sometimes, absolutely refused, and he wasn't selectively mute. There was something else going on. 
Well, we, the special ed team and I, we weren't blind to his circumstances, the ones I just described. I mean, we could only imagine how they were affecting him. But at the end of the day, you still have to have IEP goals. You have to do something with them and hope to see progress, no matter what was going on in his life. At that point in my career, the only thing I could come up with was working on grammatical morphemes. Really, I was just hoping I could get him talking, but I wasn't very successful. So there we were, this client appearing sullen and stubborn, and me with my not very effective grammatical morphemes therapy approach. So that Monday, I was walking with this client to the therapy room, and I noticed how he walked. Drifted would be a better word, down the hall. He was so hesitant. He walked so lightly that it was like his feet weren't even making contact with the carpet. His voice was so quiet. And the impression that came to me is he's a ghost in his own life. He's afraid to leave an impression on the world. No footprints, no sound waves, nothing. When we got to the therapy room, I ditched the therapy plan, and I just encouraged him to be loud with me. I talked loudly, I sang loudly, we threw our arms out, we stomped our feet. I just wanted him to to be there, to not be a ghost anymore, to make an impression on the world. And you know what? He tried. He really did. I had a new approach with that client because of seeing him with new eyes. So lesson number one, until your client wants to make an impression on their world, nothing else really matters to them. My second story is about a client who couldn't have been in a more different situation. The common thread is that he also seemed stubborn and reluctant to talk. He came from a two-parent home, super educated parents, elevated socioeconomic status. They read with him and they were concerned about his education, but he communicated in the briefest possible sentences that he could, not even complete sentences sometimes, although sometimes he had a really impressive vocabulary. So he was a real puzzle. Sometimes he talked fine. Other times he was just coming up with these partial sentences. And his language impairment seemed borderline, I thought. Maybe he's just not really trying. But I was thinking, well, better safe than sorry. So I started working with him. And narrative language was the approach I chose. I mean, he seemed ideally suited to that. He just needed a little boost in expanding his sentences and describing more, using character names, getting his pronouns a little bit fixed, they were a little bit off, and getting his story grammar down so he could talk about his experiences. Well, easy peasy, I thought. Well, not so fast. His first couple days of therapy were fine. That's what I call the honeymoon period. You probably all have that. And after that, he had good days and bad days, but the bad days were very bad. Full-on meltdowns. He was in all-day kindergarten, and that kind of did him in. But because he was in school all day, he had to have an after-school appointment. He was often tired and cranky when he came, and because of that, I was like, I really don't know what you can do. I really don't know what you're capable of. And he never wanted to talk about his own experiences. I just felt that he was underperforming. And sometimes we think if we're a warm and caring adult who shows that we have all the time in the world to listen to them, Kids will just want to talk to us, they'll want to open up, and then we can get them talking about their own stories, and then bingo, we're in like Flynn. Well, that's not always the case. It was something his mother said that helped me crack this code. She said he talked so little compared to his peers, and that made me wonder what his play was like and how much he talked while he was playing. So here is where I observed. I mentally observed a typical conversation with five or six-year-olds, and my eyes were opened. Now think of all the negotiation, the what-ifs, and if you do this and I'll do that, and the imagination and the creativity that kids use to play at that age. If you're behind even a little bit in language, you'd have a hard time keeping up your end. 
So I put away my pre-written stories that I have. I use StoryChamp stories. I have my own pre-written stories, which I've been trying to use. I just put those away for a bit. I pulled out my city rug and my construction vehicles, and I made up mini stories as we played. It was really simple. It was just things like, oh, no, the store is out of Easter candy. And then I go, I wonder what they should do. And then I'd wait for him to suggest something. I had mini M&Ms and I had a semi-truck that opens up, so we transported a lot of candy to the store. I kept the questions really general and indirect. Lots of, hmm, I wonder, I have to think about this. What could he do? A lot of talking to myself out loud and then waiting for him to contribute. It turned out that he really needed time to imagine how a story could play out and to come up with solutions and to put that into language. He really did have a language impairment mild to moderate. He just couldn't think fast enough to put it all together. And that's why his language seems so age-appropriate sometimes, but when he had to call in creativity and imagination, then his language suffered. At the end of that session with my new approach, he looked up at me and his eyes were just shining and he said, can we do this every week? And I'm like, sure. (laughs) As long as you'll do stories with me, these little mini stories, sure, we can do whatever you want. Well, since then, he's moved on to being willing to make up stories and to tell his own experiences. We never would have arrived there without me realizing how important play was for him. So lesson number two, until your client can use language to play, nothing else really matters to them in therapy. My final story is about a preschooler who was really unintelligible. He was an articulation client, no language impairment that I could see, but since he was so hard to understand, I wasn't really sure. He fought everything in therapy, every step of the way. And we were doing all sorts of fun games and activities. I mean, he was a preschooler. Of course we were doing fun things. So why wasn't he interested in all my super fun things? Why was he sitting on the floor with his body wrapped around the table like and his eyes shut tight? And there are times when you think, this is not in my job description. (laughs) Well, my new eyes moment didn't actually occur while I was with him. I was describing him to my mother who is a brilliant teacher. She just listened to me talk until I discovered an idea I thought I could try with this child. And that's part of why my mom's a brilliant teacher. She helps people discover their own answers. I had just been introduced to using narratives in therapy, and I thought maybe his unhappiness might come from him knowing he had a speech problem and hating that he needed help with it. I also suspected that he was a very bright child intellectually. So the next time he came to therapy, I told him a story. It was about him, but I used third person, so he didn't feel too much in the spotlight. Even though he was in individual therapy, I thought he was maybe super sensitive. So I said something like this. Once there was a boy who needed help learning to talk. He didn't like getting help with talking. He thought it meant he wasn't smart or good, but he was wonderful just the way he was. Seriously, that was all there was to my story, but you know what? It fixed everything about his attitude. And then we could just work on speech. From that day forward, he happily participated in therapy. I mean, that was almost too good to be true. So lesson number three, until your client can accept help from you, nothing else matters. What's the takeaway here? Step back and observe clients, the whole child, and form a hypothesis about what you're going to do and then try it. Also, remember the three lessons that I learned from these clients? Until you want to make an impression on your world, nothing else matters. Until you can use language to play nothing else matters. And until your client can accept help from you, nothing else matters. 
Well, that about wraps it up for today. If you've enjoyed this podcast about being led by your observations, I have a couple of others you might enjoy. There's one called First Speak Their Language. That's episode number 32. And there's one called Permission to Play. That's episode number 12. Thanks for listening today. And be sure to visit my free resource library at thespeechumbrella.com for tons of therapy ideas. And remember, don't be pushed by your problems. Be led by your observations. Thanks for listening to The Speech Umbrella. We invite you to sign up for the free resource library at thespeechumbrella.com. You'll get access to some of Denise's best tracking tools, mindfulness activities, and other great resources to take your therapy to the next level. All this is for free at thespeechumbrella.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and other podcast directories. 